With sports car racing news from around the globe, this is the Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine, joined for our Pirelli World Challenge Season Review, Year in Review episode by John DeGeese from Chicago. It was an interesting season of World Challenge and one that I think uh, we can be looking at in the future as maybe a hinge point from the past to the future of this championship. So a lot for us to talk about today, John. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll dive into that here. We'll be talking GT, GTA, maybe a little GT Cup in segment one. Segment two will be a look back at the season in GTS, and then we will be taking a peek at the future of the championship and a whole lot to say about that, given all the changes that have happened within World Challenge over uh, the last year or so. It's probably the last time we can refer to it as Pirelli World Challenge, doing so here in our season review. So let's start with segment one, John, GT, GTA, and GT Cup. I think as far as the GT3 ranks within this championship were concerned, we were all a little disappointed not to see a higher car count, especially for the sprint races. Sprint X was a little bit better, but one thing that certainly was true was there was a a quality in the teams and drivers, specifically the Sprint X driver lineups, that was hard to look past, even if the car count wasn't what you wanted it to be. There was still a lot of star power within the GT class uh, in in 2018. Yeah, we had a lot of factory drivers in this championship. And I think if you count the number of factory drivers that were in Pirelli World Challenge this year in the GT series overall, compared to previous years, it was definitely an increase. And the likes of Michael Christensen, um, Tony Vlander, Miguel Molina, the, the Sprint X Bentley drivers that were brought into KPAX, Maxime Soule and Andy Suchek, um, the list really went on and on in terms of the star power that was part of this championship. And we also saw a lot of drivers sort of you know, make it through the ranks and, and sort of get back in the, the limelight of things. You know, uh, for instance, Scott Hargrove driving for FAF Motorsports. I think that was one of the big revelations of the year. And also we had Daniel Morad with, with CRP and um, others, as, you know, of Harold Parent. Obviously, he's not a factory driver per se any is currently this year, but he was definitely, you know, leading the way um, from KPAX's standpoint and also the rise of Rodrigo Baptista. So while the car count was on the smaller side, I don't think it detracted from the level of talent behind the wheel um, uh, throughout the year. Definitely an agreement there. You you hit on a lot of the, the big names that I think uh, really impressed over the course of the season. At the end of the year, in terms of uh, the, the overall championship, Tony Vlander stood alone. It was a remarkable season for him and his Sprint X teammate, Miguel Molina. Those two teamed uh, to win the Sprint X title. Meanwhile, Scott, Scott Hargrove, who you called the revelation of the season, I think that's probably true, although Rodrigo Baptista probably deserves some consideration for that as well. But Scott, after sweeping the opening weekend at St. Pete, didn't win again, but was able to win the Sprint Championship when it was all said and done at Watkins Glen. So uh, you look at uh, our champions from the GT ranks, John, some some great stories there. I, I think Scott is a, is a great one, but also I thought maybe the fun thing to watch as the season went along, Tony Vlander and Miguel Molina, those two turned into a really dynamic pairing from guys who really didn't know each other all that well at the beginning of the season. You could tell by the end they were really good friends in addition to a potent combination on the track. 
Yeah, and it's kind of the two spectrums of the Ferrari factory lineup here. Miguel is is one of the newcomers to that lineup. Tony's one of the veterans, and to see that pairing sort of you know meld throughout the year has been was really really um, interesting. And um, obviously, you know, a strong pairing, a very strong car. Our ferry always brings very good equipment to the racetrack, and um, bouncing back from a, a couple challenging years, I'd have to say for that team, they had a stop start season. Um, last year with um, what was supposed to be a full season run with Alex Riberis, he ended up getting ousted from Ferrari in the, in the factory lineup. Um, ultimately, Kyle Marcelli came back with that car for some races after it was repaired, but um, you know it wasn't the season they wanted last year. And starting off the year, um, obviously, with a, a victory and, and, and a strong uh, season-long run by, by that Canadian team really put them in, in a good position i think for the entire championship and if any team can take some heart in that story the bounce back from 2017 to 2018 for our ferry i think it's probably k-pax no team that i can think of in motorsports globally had as much hardship as they did some of it was self-inflicted with accidents some of it were was accidents that they couldn't control some of it was mechanical problems but it just seemed like the first couple well really the first half of the season maybe even more it was one thing after another for the K-Pax Racing Team. I know they're anxious to put that behind them. They still had some positives to take away. Alvaro Perrin showed pace at times, and we mentioned Rodrigo Baptista already. He looks like a star in the making, but uh, I think they have to hope that they can emulate our ferry a little bit and completely forget about 2018 as they look ahead to 2019. Yeah, and I, I think um, for, for Alvaro's situation, I think he went through like three or four different chassis throughout the year, and it was a case of like, which one's showing up now after the, the previous race that had a, had damage? And I, I think the, the, the moment sort of stands out to me, and it's an unfortunate moment, but it was um, his St. Peter, his, his big crash at St. Petersburg, you know, it, it, um, head onto the barriers, um, car caught air, and it was a really scary moment, I think, for everybody. And um, things didn't get much better a couple races later when he was taken out in the first uh, opening corner at, at VIR. That sent you know to another backup car, I think, for for CTMP. And once things cycled around, I think they got into a rhythm. And 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 really by you know, I think the CTMP weekend, for instance, I, I think that team really started coming of age with the Bentley. But it took a lot for the team, I think, to adjust to the car. And even for Alvaro, you know, moving to a right-hand drive, the, the Bentley was a much larger um, automobile compared to what the team had run before with the McLarens. And I, I think that it was, it was a lot of coming to grips with, with everything. And things came around by, by the end of the year. And now next year, they have a whole new car to come to grips with, with the new generation Bentley. And obviously, it's not a complete transformation is what they did the, the, in the previous year. But it, it still will be a, a, new cha- a new challenge and a new chapter. But um, considering, uh, I think, the consistency that they sort of got in the second half of the year, they're, they're definitely up for it in 2019. Yeah, definitely a team to keep an eye on. Finally, I did want to speak in, in greater depth about Scott Hargrove. I think this is a guy that maybe if you've been paying attention, uh, especially to the, the junior open wheel ranks, he, it's a name you might recognize. He certainly seemed like someone who was destined to make it to IndyCar at one point. And since then, uh, various situations kind of forced his hand to to leave the open wheel world and go sports car racing, specifically racing in Porsche Cup. 
um, in, in Canada and North America. Uh, but made the big step up, I think was an unknown commodity when he got to a World Challenge last year with the FAF team, and all they did was impress all season long. Scott won the first couple of races, he was fast everywhere else, won the sprint championship. We know he's not going to be back to defend that title because the team is making the switch over to IMSA for next year. However, uh, I think he's a name that all of a sudden people have on the, the tips of their tongues when they're talking about up-and-coming young GT drivers, and, and that was not the case this time a year ago. I don't think anybody really had him penciled in as a potential champion in, in 2018. No, I think when you looked at the Porsche lineup, a lot of people were expecting Michael Christensen and Allegra to really lead the way, and it was it wasn't the case for for the at least the first half of the year with with Scott really um, on fire with, with that combination. They had a really good engineer, um, and, and I think the package really just worked well. And um, he's being rewarded next year in becoming a Porsche selected driver. Um, from the the German manufacturer, um, I, it effectively takes over the place of Christina Nielsen. Although that's not a hundred percent confirmed on whether Christina will be back as a selected driver or not next year. But yeah, going back to his his PWC season, um, lots of you know strong runs. I think consistency really helped him get the sprint title. Um, you know, Vlander and Molina were kind of in a league of their own at times in Sprint X. Um, Scott was joined by Wolf Hensler in, uh, for the Sprint X races, and they also had some good success. Ultimately didn't get to victory lane, but had some good podiums and some strong results there. And um, I, I think that he's you know, definitely one of the, 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 the rising stars in, in our sport for sure. Let's quickly touch on GTA before we get to our driver and uh, driver of the year for GT, GTA, and then also our race of the year for this uh, the GT3 part of, of Pirelli World Challenge last season. Um, the GTA Sprint title went to Martin Fuentes, who had a really dominant season uh, racing both in the Sprint and Sprint X category, teamed in the Sprint X Am Championship to win that title with Cesar Baccarella. Martin actually had the overall, ch- or, or the Sprint Championship, I should say, already wrapped up before the, the season finale at Watkins Glen and elected not even to participate in those races. So a really dominant season for him and, and for Baccarella as well, as far as the Sprint X Am is concerned. But Sprint X Pro Am was a cool story too, John, with Parker Chase and Ryan Dial teaming to win that championship. I think uh, those two really opened some eyes, and Parker Chase in particular, the second half of the season really seemed to come of age. Absolutely. Um, you know, just seeing his breakthrough first um, GTA win at CTMP, also sharing the wheel with Ryan for an overall victory at Portland. That came sort of in the stewards' room post-race after some penalties levied in that crazy round there up in Portland. But um, I would say Parker really stepped it up. This was his first year of GT3 racing, um, coming from GT4 and then the, in the GTS class with, with Genetta's in previous seasons. And I think having Ryan DL as his coach, as his mentor, really showed the, the strength of that, of, of what his potential can be behind the wheel. And um, absolutely really good stuff from, from, from Parker. And crazy to believe, I think he's only 17 still. You know, we've been talking about him for so, so, much, so long, and um, he has such a bright career ahead of himself for sure. Yeah, definitely. We'll be keeping an eye on him for years to come. So let's let's get to our awards here, John. At the end of the season, your GT Driver of the Year. What direction are you thinking you might go with this one? Well, I guess it's a simple one, but I would say Tony Vlander. You know, he, he seemed to really be in a league of his own overall throughout the season. Um, first full season of PWC. Actually, yeah, I think it's first, it was his first 
race altogether came at, at St. Petersburg in, in March. And um, yeah, I, I'd have to say that, you know, when you take everything in consideration between the single driver sprint and the two driver sprint X, he probably was the, the most well-rounded driver throughout the year. I think that's right. Uh, I also have to keep in mind the transition for Tony. Some of the tracks were new to him. Some, uh, Certainly the tire was new to him, and I know from talking to him that was something that, that took a little while to, to wrap his head around, and apparently it's actually something Miguel Molina really helped him with with previous Pirelli experience racing in Europe. I would say it, it's not exactly driver of the year worthy, but I do think the resume that Rodrigo Baptista put together is worth highlighting because we thought he was going to be running for a GTA title at the beginning of the season. He ultimately got promoted at one point to um, the the pro ranks, and the team wasn't really thrilled about this because I think they kind of had the GTA championship well in hand at that point, and all of a sudden now they, they lose a chance to win that championship. But by the end of the year, I don't think there was any argument that the series made the right choice. Rodrigo swept the season finale at Watkins Glen and um, frequently was on the pace with his teammate Avaro Parent, who I think we both rate very, very highly. So uh, I'd give him an honorable mention, even though it's not championship worthy and, and it's certainly a, a different set of, of um, criteria that I'm using to assess him here. But I thought Rodrigo's season was really good and, and worth highlighting there. GTA driver of the year for me, it's Martin Fuentes. He was absolutely stellar all season long, a great personality too. And uh, just it seemed like he was always in victory lane. Yeah, for me, it's Parker Chase. Um, you know, I like I said a little earlier, I, I think he really came of age this year, um, having, you know, really stepped into the deep end with GT3 machinery. And he seemed to sort of come, he see, sort of seemed to be at home in, in, in ways, you know. And it took a little while for him to get up to speed. But I, I think, you know, the, the results highlighted in the second half of the year um, really showed what, potentially has you know as, as a driver for the future so if i had a pick I, i'd say um definitely parker that's a good choice as well how about our race of the year for gt gta and gt cup uh, i'm going to look at long beach actually and it wasn't for the gt finish but rather for the gta finish where martin fuentes and yuki harada were banging doors. They were running off track. They were as close as close can be crossing the finish line. It was a really dramatic finish and a big win for Yuki Harada, his first in GT3 machinery in Pirelli World Challenge. And I know we had his family over for J- from Japan for that race as well. I thought that, that finish was pretty crazy. Plus, the GT race had some wild ups and downs too. So uh, for me, it's the Long Beach race. How about you, John? Yeah, I'd agree with you. I was just thinking back, you know, what race really stands out. And and I think it was those closing moments at Long Beach. It was unbelievable racing between him and Martin. And, um, you know, obviously there was some paint scraping and and what you would expect at at a street race. But to see Yuki come out and and claim his first uh, class victory in in a GT3 car was really, really cool. It's unfortunate we're not going to have him back in the series next year. We understand he's uh, moved back to Japan and he's um, really focusing on his family. His wife had their first child recently, and I think he's going to be looking to do some more racing closer to home. But um, it was great to have him here for for the season and and, uh, definitely brought some character to the paddock. Yeah, no doubt about that. So that's a look back at 2018 in GT and GTA. When we return, we'll turn our attention to GTS and our Pirelli World Challenge year in review. I'm Lawson Ashenbach. You're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast.
Back on Double Stints, let's get to GTS and GTSA, John, in our Pirelli World Challenge 2018 Year in Review episode. Uh, huge growth once again, especially in Sprint X. This GT4 platform seems to be as popular as ever, and I think World Challenge has something going for it in regards to its GTS category, allowing some of the more boutique manufacturers in. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a bigger variety of machinery competing in the same race than you would in a GTS race uh, in Pirelli World Challenge last year. Yeah, there was more than 10 GT4 manufacturers represented for the, the majority of the season. Um, car counts, you know, over 30 cars at times. It was extremely exciting stuff and really the coming of age, I think, for GT4 in America. We've seen, it, you know, similar numbers and similar success in, in IMSA um, this year in their challenge series. But this is a little different, obviously, you know, being part of the SRO umbrella and and, and fully embracing some of the boutique manufacturers in, in the series. And um, we overall, I think, saw a real dominant performance, you know, from some of the cars, namely, I think, GMG and, and, and James Safronis, who um, ended up sweeping all of the titles in, in, in between the different GTS uh, pro categories. It was a pretty amazing story, considering that James has been a lifer in World Challenge, basically, uh, and had been pretty close to winning championships for a long time, but didn't win his first until last year. And all of a sudden, it seems like you, you break open the floodgates and all the water rushes through because uh, two championships last year, he swept all of the available championships for him this year. The overall, the sprint and the sprint X, which he shared with his friend and co-driver Alex Welch, who I think also kind of opened some eyes, not a name that we were all that familiar with coming from club racing, but uh, he and James were a really good combination and in a series that has some pretty young up and coming uh, you know guys we expect to be professionals at a very high level James Sofronis right there uh, going on 50 years old was hanging hanging right there with him and, and beating them more often than not uh, I know he took a great deal of pride in that this year having talked to him about it a few times he loves this championship he loves where it's headed and uh, for him to have a year like this it, it was uh, something that you kind of had to see to be to be believed just how dominant they were absolutely and and when you say you know going up against some of the younger guys you know you look at the lineup in this series and i would say it's just as good as what we saw in gt minus like the factory status of some of these drivers but you had people like lawson aschenbach jade buford um harry gottsacker shane lewis ian james um you know the, the the list went on in terms of the drivers in the sprint championship then sprint x there was even some more star power. So I, I think it definitely, you know, showed the, the strength and consistency of the of the Audi package that James had underneath him. Um, believe it or not, he wasn't planning to do this season. Um, he sort of was convinced by Alex to go to go um, uh, GT4 racing for, for the year to try to make a, a championship, you know, uh, run at it. And, and I, I know that um, James has really been trying to focus a lot on his business and a lot on GMG as, as they continue to grow both in, in customer club racing and, and also in the professional ranks. And um, I, I think he's made the good decision to, to stay behind the wheel this year for sure. Yeah, he was talking about retirement at the end of the year last year, and, and clearly that is uh, something that's been pushed to the back burner and, and a good thing, too, because, uh, again, another good personality and a guy that, if you've been following this championship, 
Um, it's one of the few holdovers from the Pirelli World Challenge that I think many of us first discovered uh, all those years ago. Uh, with so many changes coming, there's not a lot of those holdovers left, and he certainly is one of them. Uh, and it's been cool to see what GMG has done. They've really become a powerhouse in GTS. You think back to what George Kurtz did a year ago in GTSA, uh, then this season that they had there, I think they've got some some aspirations of even more projects for the future. So, uh, really remarkable season for James and for GMG. Meanwhile, in GTSA, a couple cool stories here too. In sprint, Jeff Courtney was the GTSA champion, doing so in a Maserati that, by his own admission, was long in the tooth and and lacked some of the creature comforts of many of of the other GT4 cars in the field uh, really had to be retrofitted, if you will, to to fit into this class. And uh, he was not exactly sure this was a car that was going to have a chance to be very competitive this year. And in fact, it was so competitive that that he ends up winning the Sprint Championship. Meanwhile, Sprint X went the way of Drew Staveley, who had uh, a really remarkable season too. I believe an overall win at one point in the year. Just a, a really cool story there and uh, in that Janetta. So another chance for a car that you, you really can't see anywhere else in North America to, to succeed at a professional level. Yeah, that car also, the Sin from Harry Gottsacker, um, little you know boutique cars that aren't permitted in other professional-run um, GT4 championships in, in America, but still they, they show their strength um, in, in, in PWC as, as well as the Painos. I think I was really impressed by the performance of Ian James in, in the second half of the year, namely, and also Preston Calvert, who got through you know to, to claim victories in the GTSA category, as, as we're talking about right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, highlights of the season for for you from from GTS. Anything stand out? I think it's just sort of the overall diversity. What we saw, you know, I, I love seeing all these different cars and all these different teams sort of show up and 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 try to battle it out. And and what we've seen, you know, all the different manufacturers represented, some with some more support than others, but um, just the, the overall diversity is really what, what got me excited to, um, throughout the season. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that the series and the SRO deserve some credit for what they've done with BOP, because while it was a, a, a dominant year in a way for James Sifronis, it still was pretty unpredictable. You really didn't know who was going to be strong week to week, race to race, and, and that made it a, an exciting championship to follow, I thought. So let's get to our awards here, John. We'll start with our GTS Driver of the Year. Who do you have in mind? Well, James was dominant through the year, but he didn't have as many victories as Ian James. And I'd say for the second straight year, Ian came up a little short due to having a, a slow start to the year. Um, they had some challenging races early on. Um, didn't you know get to victory lane as early as they hoped to again this year? But I'd say this, the Panos was extremely strong throughout the year, and um, really some breakthrough victories. Him teaming with Matt Keegan in Sprint X, um, I, I'd have to say you know the, the strength of that team was 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 extremely impressive. Had some reliability issues, was excluded from CTMP, I believe, due to a, a catalytic converter infraction. So, again, luck wasn't on their side, but I'd say in terms of sheer pace, um, the Avanzado GT4 was impressive. I'm totally in agreement. I think we both picked him last year when he didn't win the championship <laughs> either, but he won all those races where uh, Lawson Aschenbach was just so consistent and did win the title, but only won a couple of times. Uh, I, I'm totally in agreement. He had a season high of all the competitors for wins. Just a terrible start to the season. You look at it, and, and there's, I think, three instances in the first four races, something like that, of not scoring any points. Just a really terrible 
dismal beginning to the campaign, but never finished off the podium in the last half of the season. Just a remarkable run, was always there uh, on pace, even when the results weren't there. And, and I think you're right, he is the driver of the year in GTS. How about GTSA? For me, I, I mentioned the story a little bit earlier. I, I liked uh, what Jeff Courtney did. He, he won the, the sprint championship. And again, that Maserati is is probably not the car that you would expect to be successful. Uh, Jeff himself really didn't expect it to be successful. But nevertheless, it's a small team, and uh, they, they seem to, to punch above their weight time after time. Won races, won that championship in sprint, and just a, a really cool story for another guy who's who's been around this championship for a while. And, and for me, he stands out as the driver of the year in GTSA. That's a good pick, Ryan, and, and I would agree with you for the most part. Um, but when looking at drivers that competed in both GT Sprint, GTS Sprint and the Sprint X, mind you, this championship didn't have an overall GTS champion for, for the, the amateur division. I, I would sort of have to say Drew Stavely would maybe be my pick for, for that, considering the consistency he had. Um, he had a very challenging season finale at Watkins Glen. Um, BOP might have gotten in the way of things a little bit, and he could have ended up being the the GTSA champion there if it wasn't for some issues there in, in those races. Um, but I, I would have to say the, the Janetta seemed pretty strong. Drew um, had some really strong runs um, throughout the year, getting on the overall podium a couple times. So he'd be my pick um, if, if we were to combine the two um, amateur divisions uh, for the Sprint and Sprint X. Yeah, he was the other one that I had in mind. So a good choice there for sure and, and a worthy recipient of the award. And as far as our GTS GTSA Race of the Year is concerned, I think for me... It was Portland race one where we saw Ian James make the pass on Harry Gottsacker late in that race, uh, just in the final couple of laps after Harry had led pretty much the whole race, uh, really worked on him for a, a long time, and it was a fun battle to keep an eye on as that race went along. Uh, ultimately, it was, I think, three-tenths of a second or something like that between the two cars when they crossed the line at the end of the race to so a nice close finish. And while it denied Harry his first career win, he didn't have to wait long because he came back and he won it the next day in Portland race two. So I think all those things combined to make some really cool storylines. And uh, for me, it's it's Portland race one. I would probably say one of the races at Coda. Um, to me, just to seeing the season open with such a huge grid, um, some great storylines in the race with Aurora Strauss winning um, uh, race two, um, I think becoming one of the first female drivers to win in, in PwC in the GTS competition, for that matter. Um, there was a lot of cool you know, excitement there in that camp. Um, their sister car was also in contention at, at, at point. So I, I would say it would be probably one of the races from the, from the Coda weekend that stood out to me. Yeah, there were some good ones there. There were all year long, so it was a fun season in GTS. Well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the future of Pirelli World Challenge, or as it will be known, SRO Motorsports America. That'll be next here on Double Stint. Hey, this is Colin Brown, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time to take a look into the future here, John, looking ahead at what's to come for what we've known for so long as Pirelli World Challenge, but we'll have a bunch of different names for us to try and wrap our heads around for next year. 
it's going to be a season of change. There's no doubt about that, uh, given the SRO's increased involvement. We found out about that over the course of the season. And maybe if you're looking for uh, the biggest story to come out of the year, as good as a lot of the racing was, it's probably the SRO's acquisition of WC Vision, of a majority stake of WC Vision, and therefore all the changes that are coming to align this championship more with what the SRO is doing globally. Yeah, uh, change is the key word for 2019 for sure, both with the naming and the class structures and the race formats. Um, starting with the top series, um, what was known as PWC GT is now known as Blancpain GT World Challenge America, and that'll be for GT3 cars and also potentially GT2 later in the year if anybody shows up. But that's the main category, 90-minute um, races um, twice per weekend with two driver formats. So um, gone are the days of single driver GT3 racing. Um, we'll be seeing exclusive uh, two driver format with full service pit stops with refueling. So there brings a lot of excitement there. Um, it's a unique format, interestingly enough, um, to what has been run in uh, in Europe or in Asia. Um, Stefan Reitel has, you know, sort of gauged the the paddock and 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 see what you know they they really wanted in this series and um, what we typically see in sprint racing and other SRO championships are one hour races and uh, teams over here wanted uh, slightly longer. They wanted to have, you know, an extra element of strategy in, in, in invoked into the series. So um, we're going to see how this works over the course of the year. And, and obviously in, in GT4, what was known as the GTS category is now known as GT4 America with uh, a sponsorship from Pirelli that was announced uh, a few weeks ago during the, the state of the series address at PRI. And um, we're looking at a similar format there in terms of having a sprint and a sprint X championship, but also we get the additional um, uh, regional series with West Coast and East Coast as part of the, the GT Pirelli GT4 America Sprint X series. So lots of different opportunities, I think, for, for teams to sort of pick and choose where they want to race their GT4 cars. And I think this is a great opportunity for um, for a lot of up-and-coming teams and drivers to really um, pick and choose and, and showcase their, their talents be, um, in, in the various options that SRO America has established. Yeah, there's a lot to like about what's to come in GT4. I, I'm not overly concerned about that. I think the biggest question there probably is, are there too many championships and does that water down the field? We saw great car counts all year long this year and now with the regional championships in addition to the the more national look uh do you even though they are making an effort to try and make it possible to do both on the same race weekend is that something that's going to put too great a strain on teams drivers budgets etc uh do do we see the car count that that we uh, have come to expect out of uh, the GTS class in the last couple of years i think more questions though swirl around GT3 and and what the car count is going to look like there. There's been a lot done um, to to try and entice teams. I think the series has done a very good job of of reaching out to its paddock and trying to figure out what it is that the teams and and the drivers who take part in it want from this championship. So I, I mean I think the effort is there, but the proof is going to be how many cars show up for the the season opener. And and right now that is a big question mark that hangs over the championship. Yeah, speaking to Stefan, you know, and also the the president and CEO of SRO America, Greg Gill, who remains in his same position as as prior, um, they both have sort of outlined a, a goal of eighteen to twenty cars for for the full season for for GT 
three. And um, it could be achievable. I, I think that, you know, there's always a lot of last minute entries to sort of get in play. We, you know, other championships start earlier in the year in America. So a lot of the attention right now as we're taping this is on, you know, the IMSA championship because Daytona is, you know, a few weeks away. But the Coda round is in early March. And so there's still plenty of time for teams to, to get things together. Uh, I think we're probably going to see some last minute entries. But, um, you know, early indications are that we should have a, a pretty decent grid. You know, KPAX will be back with brand new Bentleys. We know um, DXDT Racing will have two Mercedes uh, AMG GT3s. Um, there's going to be two factory-supported Porsches, from what we understand, p- potentially one entered by GMG, which would be great news to see them back in the top class. Um, also some Ferraris. I think TR3 should be back. Um, so um, Squadra Corsa, Garage Italia, I, I think that they're planning to return. Um, you know, some teams may not be returning to the, to the series, like FAF, for instance, but um, I'm sure there'll be others that'll be picking up where, where they left off. So um, I, I think that, you know, the, the realization is that this is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. And, you know, next year may still be on the lower car count for GT3, but, I you know, you have to look at how um, GT4, you know, the GTS class was just a few years ago with 14, 15 cars. And there was talk of merging GTS and GT together because of the, the, the car count situation in GTS. And the following year, the, the grids doubled. So um, I, I think we all have to be patient and, and understand that, you know, Stefan has, has built an empire for GT racing worldwide. And there was always a lot of questions over the health of this series or that series. And you always look at the following year and he's found a way, you know, more times than not to re- rejuvenate the grid. And, and I, I really think that's that's the case here as well. Yep, I think there's there's plenty of reason to be confident, and uh, certainly coming off of a successful, entertaining season like we had in 2018 that had perhaps more stability than, than we've seen in recent years, I think there is some momentum behind the championship for next year. So looking forward to what 2019 has in store. Hope you folks have enjoyed our year in review episodes that we do this time every year. But uh, that is the final one. So we'll be back to our regular shows starting next week. Make sure you're leaving questions and comments in the comments section or using the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. And we'll get to those with the resumption of our normal shows uh, beginning next week. Thanks to John for jumping on with us here to talk World Challenge in 2018. And we'll be talking with you in 2019 about, uh, well, the roar before the 24 and a whole lot more on our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast. 